This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. In this episode, we're talking about the UFOs of Sosterberg. That's correct, the UFOs of Sosterberg. Now, this concerns a military base over there in the Netherlands. There's a movie that's being released about that. We'll get into that in just a, bit, a minute or so here, and I have some links. This is a fascinating case, though, of this giant triangle UFO hovering over a military base, a military base that the U.S. had operations going on at, by the way. And we have to wonder, what are these things trying to tell us? Now, we find out that on the early morning of February 3rd, 1979, a giant black triangular object flew over Sosterberg Air Base in the Netherlands. At least 12 soldiers witnessed the bizarre spectacle and the incident remains one of the most well-documented UFO sightings in the country's history. The military personnel who saw the object described it as a large silent triangle with three bright lights on the front and a red light on the back. It flew over the base at a low altitude and several of the soldiers said it was moving so quickly that it was impossible to see any details. The soldiers who witnessed the UFO were all trained observers, and they were adamant that what they saw was not a conventional aircraft or any other known object. They also reported that their radar equipment detected the object, but that it was moving too quickly for them to track it. The Dutch Air Force investigated the incident, but they were unable to offer an explanation for what the soldiers had seen. They initially dismissed the sightings as a hoax, but they later changed their stance and admitted that they could not explain what had happened. The Sosterberg UFO incident remains a mystery to this day. Now, some people believe that the soldiers saw a secret military aircraft, while others believe that they witnessed evidence of extraterrestrial life. There's no definitive answer to the question of what the soldiers saw, but the incident is one of the most intriguing UFO sightings in history. You know, we have these we have these soldiers, as we're being told, they were trained observers and they saw this thing, but even even then the government doubted them and at one point uh, was trying to claim this was some sort of uh, mirage or uh, reflection from uh, cloud cover maybe over the mountains, basically the old swamp gas excuse. And clearly that's not what these guys saw. Now, the Sosterberg UFO incident is definitely a significant event in the history of UFOlogy. But the problem is I think we don't really hear about it that much because it happened, you know, across the ocean. And it seems like uh, with the U.S. kind of being the center of uh, news on these sorts of things, we, we kind of miss the point sometimes when things happen in France or the Netherlands or the U.K. Lots of great sightings over there that just don't get the coverage that they deserve because of the antiquated mainline media. But 
we're going to put a stop to that. We're going to start re reporting some of these things. And this is a case that deserves reporting. Like I said, this new documentary is coming out. Looks like it could be really a, a, a great thing to watch. And, and we're going to talk about this a little bit. Now, I want to look just a little bit at what's going on at this base. Just a little tiny bit of background here. Now, we're, go to Wikipedia. I'll tell that the 32nd Tactical uh, Fighter Squadron was there. It says, as a result of the 1968 Soviet intervention in Czechoslovakia, the U.S. Air Force announced that its F-102 squadrons would be re-equipped with modern McDonnell Douglas F-4 Phantom IIs. The 32nd FIS was a first in line to undergo the conversion, and the F-102s were flown back to the United States and were transferred to the Air National Guard. Now, it goes on and tells us, that in July 1969, the U.S. Air Force redesignated the unit as the 32nd Tactical Fighter Squadron. On August 6, 1969, the first two brand-new Phantoms arrived, flying the F-14 Phantom, met some, met some drastic changes for the squadron and the base. So you got going things going on here. Clear up into 1989, we're talking about having troops there, and then uh, even in 1991. So this is an active area. Uh, where war, war, it was feared that war could break out. You know, 1979, uh, we're still in the heights of the Cold War. And so you have all this drama between uh, what was, you know, Russia now, what was then the Soviet Union, and the United States on one side with this base here in the Netherlands kind of in the middle. It seems so often that these things are attracted uh, to situations where there's a lot of trauma, uh, maybe some kind of a natural or human disaster, and war. They really seem to feed off of war. Now, let's take a look at this next site right here. There's a new documentary out called The UFOs of Sosterberg. That's The UFOs of Sosterberg. And I'm going to put a link at the Buy Me a Coffee website. Uh, there's about a two-minute preview of this documentary. It looks awesome. I would just love to see it. Now, the posting on this is dated October 5th, 2023, and the poster is UFO Meldpunt, Netherlands. So I guess that's there from uh, the Netherlands. It's, it says that the director and producer is Bram Rosa, and then it's got the folks listed in it, uh, production of the Mad Scientist Movement. It's got their uh, website there. It says a feature documentary about the, about the Netherlands' most famous UFO incident. A dozen soldiers at Sosterberg Air Base, also known as Camp New Amsterdam, saw an enormous UFO at the heart of the Cold War. And this is this is great. I watched the video, and they're interviewing uh, one of the pilots there that that uh, saw this thing. Talks about uh, 12 to 15 people have seen it. Really fascinating stuff. Now I want to go ahead. Then I'll put, like I said, I'll put the link to buy me a coffee. As always, thanks to folks that support over there and at uh, Spotify. Uh, but you can take a look at the video and you can watch it there and link to it. It's just like a two-minute video. Now, I want to go ahead and look at this report that I found. And I had to use the Google Translate to uh, translate this from Dutch to English. But we'll go through it and just see uh, what they had to say about this incident when it happened back there in 1979. I found this report on this sighting over uh, Sosterberg back in February 1979, but it was written in uh, Dutch. So I went ahead and ran it through Google Translate, and it came out a little bumpy, so I had to do a little bit of editing on it so we could you know, read it without uh, too much hesitation. So what I've done is I've put a link uh, 
for the original report in English uh, over at the Buy Me a Coffee website, and you can check that over there. And then I'll read through this just slightly edited version uh, that I've just kind of pared down a bit so we can just uh, get an idea of what's going on there. And the report's quite lengthy, so I won't read the whole thing, but I want to go through part the, 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 the main parts of it so we can get the gist of what happened. Cause this is this is really, uh, I think, a cool sighting. Now, it tells us that it says the, the report of this UFO sighting over Sosterberg Air Base in the morning of the 3rd of February, 1979, was examined by three members of the NOBOVO working group, including Dr. W. At DeGraff, working at the Astronomy Institute in Utrecht, or Utrecht, and serving as an advisor to NOBOVO, it has been revealed that there were two different f flights of lights above the base. So we have two separate sightings, which were observed by a total of five various items scattered throughout the base, each manned by two more soldiers. The phenomena was first seen at a quarter to six and lasted a total of five to six minutes. It was observed successively by post A in the west and post B in the northeast, post C in the north, post D in the northwest, and post E in the southwest of the base. The distance between the posts was one to three kilometers. In observations during the first passage, post A reported at exactly 545 that they saw three bright white lights in the east above an open strip of ground. The two outer lights were about a moment high above the ground and the third light in the middle between the two was slightly higher. The lights emitted focused fierce bundles that came together on the ground. So in other words, these lights were coming down, just beams of light coming, lights coming down. The lights slowly approached and after some minutes were right above the post where the observers ended up in the light beams for a few moments. During the passage, a fourth red light in the middle of the white lights became visible, larger than the white lights, emitting a strange down-facing beam. Immediately after the passage, the lights disappeared from sight behind the trees. Now, in the video, even though, you know, they're speaking in Dutch or whatever, you, they got a few subtitles, and they say... Hey, these guys could, the light was so bright that you could read a book by it. That was the exact quote. Now, this goes on. It says, Post B saw almost immediately after the first notification over the radio from Post A, lights in the south passing at the open strip. The estimated height relative to the horizon was 10 to 15 degrees. It was clear that the slanted downward facing beams illuminated the ground. Since the field of vision was small, the lights were visible for just a few moments. The combination of both observations, apparently related to the same phenomena, provides a flight altitude from 150 to 250 meters and an average speed of 50 to 100 kilometers per hour. So 30 to 60 miles an hour, they're up in the air. You know, maybe they're up there, uh, what, 700 feet. The passage was only observed by post A and B. So they're actually able to figure out the, the altitude and the speed of these things based on the reports of these two uh, different sets of observers at two different locations, this light sweeping over the area. In every observation of the second passage, post C saw the lights pass very close between the trees. 
the time was too short for a clear perception, and the observers were very impressed by what they saw. Post D initially could not see anything after their first report from Post A. It turned out that she was in connection with the cover of the present deforestation during the passage and could not have seen it. After later reports from Post A and B, Post D went to look again and saw the lights approaching from the direction of Post C in the northeast. Post D first saw three large orbs, the middle one slightly higher than the others, emitting a bright white light. The spheres were surrounded by a clearly visible black edge and initially beamed straight toward the observers. Although the beams were fierce, it was possible to look at them without glare symptoms, unlike the case with car headlights or airplanes. Now, I find that particularly interesting with my own experience. And I've talked many times in the program about my personal experience of having an up-close encounter with a UFO on the way home, you know, one night on a on a rural uh, highway. This thing just kind of uh, emerged out of the ditch, seemed to increase in size, drifted across the highway directly in front of me, uh, took up the whole road pretty much, uh, remained stationary, kind of hovering just a few feet off the ground as it went into the uh, center uh, part of this four-lane highway and just kind of parked itself there for a second. And the light that it emitted around it, and you had this blue flashing light on top I've talked about, but this very uh, white, like a stage light almost, very clear, crisp white light that just seemed to illuminate everything and drive away all the shadows. You could look directly at it. It's this brief encounter that I had as I went past this thing. And you, you could see all the details of it. But there was no glare like you would see from a very bright headlight of a car. Didn't bother my eyes at all. But it was just fascinating, the uh, properties and the quality of this light. And I get the feeling that this, that's what's going on here. But they talk about you could read a book by it. You could, that, that's kind of what my experience was. This thing was so bright, but at the same time, you could look directly at it and it didn't, your, your eyes didn't squint. They didn't react to it like, oh, you know, here's a super bright headlights coming at me. It wasn't, it wasn't like that at all. There was no eye strain, but, but the light was just, it just filled everything. And I get, I kind of get this feeling that this is what they're talking about here. It says it's emitting a bright white light. It goes on, it says, the spheres were surrounded by a clearly visible black edge and initially beamed straight toward the observers. So they're taking the light, this, this thing, whatever it is, is, it's beaming this light directly at the people that are looking at it. Although the beams were fierce, it was possible to look at them without glare symptoms, unlike the case with car headlights or airplanes. The lights made a slight curve and passed the observers at a distance of approximately 100 meters, so through about 320 feet, something 330, and a height of about 50 meters, so what, 150, 160 feet, estimates from further track analysis. A red-like taillight became visible with a straight downward-facing beam whose rim passed the observers a few dozen meters away. When the lights disappeared in a southerly direction, low above the ground, and where the beams were passing the ground, clearly illuminated. At one point, the lights were even lower than the lanterns at the back of the field, so that they must have been just above the ground. After the lights had come near post E, a flash of light was seen. The white lights disappeared, and the red light disappeared with increasing speed 
the return to the right at the top of the clouds. So it sounds like it's going from ground levels to cloud level pretty quickly. In total, Posty was able to follow the lights over a distance of two to two and a half kilometers. So, you know, what are we looking at here? Like a mile and a half or something? Finally, Post E saw the lights above the treetops coming straight from the north. They also saw the flash of light and the lights were gone. The red light disappeared at the great speed in the western direction. Post B, given its position, was unable to perceive the second passage. Post A could have done so from the original position, but the observers involved went into the forest after the lights disappeared during the passage to see if they could see them even further away. So it looks like things got a little chaotic there on the base as this giant triangular-shaped UFO passed over and shone its beams down on the observers. Now we'll move along with the report here just a little bit. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now, this report goes on. It says, further the... The particulars form all observations taken into account the direction from which the lights were seen appear to correspond to an arrangement of three white lights and one red light in the form of a blunt kite. If you look at the pictures of this thing, you can it does look kind of like a like a rounded uh, triangle. Uh, while the red light was at the bottom point, some observers saw dark saw dark contours that connected the white lights while behind the so-formed triangle was a dark rectangle with the red light at the back. So maybe this is a triangle shape with like the back end, almost like a bumper on it, sounds like, with a red light. The lights themselves must have had a center line of some meters where the red light was larger than the white lights. The white lights seemed encased in or surrounded by a clearly visible dark edge and their slanting forward targeted bundles came together in the air or on the ground. The red rear light beamed straight down. So it sounds almost like these guys are shining these beams of light from the white lights are kind of coming down in a group and focusing on a point. And then the red light, it says, just beams straight down. So I can imagine this thing flying up there, this giant triangle with these three intensely bright white spotlights just kind of uh, searching the area, almost like a helicopter would search. And they're beaming down and, and connecting with people. And like they said, the light was so bright that you could read a book by it. So this intense bright light comes down. And think about that. This thing's up in the air 300 feet, 400 feet, well, 200 meters. So what, maybe 700 feet up. And that light's coming down. But it doesn't sound like it's diffusing like a normal uh, spotlight or searchlight would, you know, from, from a man-made one. This thing sounds like so many of these things, the light is uh, controlled, just like my experience. Light was controlled. The light was in a certain specific area. Here the UFO is, this, this craft, you know, maybe 20, 30 feet across, maybe maybe 30 foot tall. The light's in, in, in is inside that, uh, you know, basically it looked like a tabletop shape. So the light's within that craft, within those open areas, You can it's all lit up. 
but the light's not spilling out onto the surrounding area. It's almost like that light's just kept inside. It's controlled. And the same thing I'm seeing here with this with these large triangle. The light's not diffusing out. It's coming straight down. It's focused like a laser. And these guys, uh, they see it. The light just lights up wherever they're at. But they point out, look, we, we didn't have any blindness from this. We didn't have any eye strain like you would if you were looking into a, an extremely bright uh, headlight of a car or maybe a helicopter. See what they're getting at? This isn't a normal light. Now, that's the three white lights. They're searching around. They're like they're on some sort of survey or something maybe. And in the back, you've got this red light, which they say just it's just shining straight down. I don't know if it's keeping this thing on some sort of course or what it's doing, but there's a reason. There's got to be a reason why the three white lights are searching around and this red light in the back is just stationary. Straight down, beam of light coming down. Now it goes on, it says... In the first passage, the lights must have moved from east to west over a distance of approximately three kilometers, so at a couple miles, above the base with an average speed of 50 to 100 kilometers per hour, 30 to 60 miles an hour. In the second passage, the lights came from the northeast, made a slight bend more to the south, after which the white lights went out upon reaching the southwestern edge of the base and the red light disappeared with the steep bend to the west. So they're flying over that base and they're looking around, searching it with these lights. Although the lights must have flown at varying speeds, sometimes they seem to stand still. This distance of approximately three kilometers with a comparable average speed as the first has been taken. And then it says, none of the stations heard any sound during the approach and passing of the lights and at least no sign of significance. After passing all posts except post C, obscured by the engine sound of their own vehicle, a very soft sound was heard. The observers from post D heard this sound shortly after the lights passed and disappeared. The other post heard it about an hour after the observation. Now that's bizarre. So they're hearing this sound. Now maybe it's related to these UFO, maybe not. But it says some of them heard it as it passed. Some of them heard it about an hour after the observation. That's interesting. Radar. During neither passage was any unusual phenomena recorded on the base's radar. Also, radar stations in the area observed nothing particularly. Now we know from a number of witnesses in the disclosure project that the standard answer to the questions of whether something special was observed on radar is no, we observed nothing special. This is also the standard rule for Dutch military bases. However, it appears regularly that UFOs, for whatever reason, are indeed not true on the radar. And then it says residents of weather. The ground temperature at the time of observation was approximately minus one degree Celsius. So that's like around what, 30 degrees yeah, Fahrenheit. The humidity was 77% and a wind blew at a speed of approximately 16 miles per hour from the northwest. So it's chilly and windy. It was overcast, no stars, not a moon, with a view of approximately 25 kilometers. So what, I don't know, what, 15, 20 miles. The base of the cloud was approximately 1,500 meters, and temperature inversions occurred at altitudes of approximately 250 to 2,000 meters. Analysis of the reports. A comparison of all reports shows that on the morning in question, the area of Sostersburg Air Base must have been visited twice by a system of lights. That's interesting, system of lights. From the reported agreements between the two lighting systems and the fact that both passengers 
that both passages occurred shortly after each other, one gets the impression that in both cases it concerned the same system of lights, although that cannot be said with absolute certainty. In a first reaction from the Air Force, it was discerned whether the observers might have seen a weather phenomenon, i.e. swamp gas, from auto lamps against the mirrored air layers and inversions. However, this statement seems to contradict the reports from the various posts that they saw the lights almost straight overhead and were in the light beams. At the beginning of the flight period, post A and post B saw the lights simultaneously in almost perpendicular directions east and south, which is difficult to explain as reflections. It looks like it. Also, the message from post E that the lights at a given moment were lower than visible objects on the other side behind them from the field over which it moved seems to contradict this statement. The observers involved are very firm in their statements that it was not a known normal type of aircraft that could have caused the symptoms. The lights looked very different from those of such aircraft and also with the dark contours that was the case. The lack of noise while overflying and radar observations while according to base spokespersons the radar would have registered a normal plane that followed those routes seems to support the statement by the observers. Given the general conditions in which the observations must have taken place in the way in which the observers had responded, some felt anxious, others resisted conversations about them, feel, fearing ridicule. The possibility that it was an in-scene fitted crap seems to be excluded. Also, the chance of a collection sansi cell seems to be negligible because the observers were at various posts and their reports nevertheless yielded a surprisingly coherent picture although during the second passage there were no mutual contacts. Given the nature of the descriptions, there seems to be a technical description here rather than a natural or psychological phenomena. For the time being, it remains unclear what technical phenomena it could be. Note it is taken of the official position of the airbase that the case is considered closed and further reactions to it will be referred to the NOBOVO working group. The conclusion, on the basis of the currently available data, it was found that Sosterberg base was visited on February 3, 1979 by an unknown air-moving system of lights and that there is a clear UFO case. Well, good for them. They were able to utter the word UFO. So much for the very comprehensive report of the, no, of the NOBOVO working group, which began which became following the observation. The members of this group were given permission by the authorities to talk to the witnesses and investigate the case at the airport itself. The NOBOVO therefore believes that the observation is not currently to be explained. The thing I love about this report is that even though they kind of had talk around it a little bit, they just finally came out and said, this is what they saw. We've got no idea what it is. We'll call it a system of lights, but it's definitely a UFO. Anyway, I'm not, I'm, I won't spend too much more time on the article here. Uh, I'll have the link up, and they've got a couple uh, comments that they made here uh, talking to uh, witnesses and stuff, and pretty much going over the same thing that we just covered, so I won't repeat myself. But I just find this to be such a fascinating case. Here we have this, we have this air base uh, back in 1979, uh, there in the Netherlands, where the United States has a very uh, prominent presence, by the way, and on this particular uh, 
evening, five o'clock in the evening, I think they said it was, 5.45, you have these two large triangular-shaped craft fly overhead, and you have between 12 and 15 witnesses at least that witness this thing, very specifically describing about how the these searchlights coming out of these things operated, how they look like beams of light, talking about this red light at the rear of the craft that just shined down straight, almost like an anchor light, talking about the speed and the altitude and how it just kind of moseyed across this, this air base. And this is a way that these reports should be written. Our own Defense Department, Arrow, whoever, wants to talk about disclosure and new websites and doing this and doing that. They can take a look at how the Dutch were doing it back in 1979 and just presenting the facts, repeating what they were told by the eyewitnesses, trying to reconstruct the size, shape, and speed of these craft, and then reporting that, and then allowing the readers, the citizens, to make up their mind. That's what you call real disclosure. You cannot have disclosure without transparency. Look at the way the Dutch did it here. This is called transparency. Look at the way we do it in our country in the U.S. today. It's the opposite of transparency. And without transparency, we will never get disclosure. And that's why, like I always say, we have to crowdsource our own disclosure. And this is how we do it, just by finding these great cases, reading over them, talking about them, and comparing them to all the other cases that we know about. Until next time, this is UFO Warning. Over and out.